Good morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 7. We are uh, wrapping up our series, Exceedingly Righteous. We got this week and next week. Uh, Next week, we are going to look at the very next verse in this section. And then after that, we'll uh, take a little break on Labor Day. Uh, I got a a message that I'm preaching that I'm really excited about uh, that's not connected to a series. And then we'll jump into our new series the week after Labor Day. So we're in Matthew chapter 7 with these famous words, judge not that you be not judged. Uh, These words, some of the most famous in all of Scripture, some of the uh, most often used uh, in Scripture, and uh, sometimes the most often misunderstood. Christians and non-Christians alike love to use this line, judge not that you be not judged. And Christians, we use it on each other uh, in certain circumstances that we find each other in. Non-Christians love to use this passage against Christians as if to say you can't have an opinion or a perspective on anything ever. So how do we understand this passage? How do we understand these words? And what was Jesus trying to teach us through these words? Judge not that you be not judged. Because it's so misunderstood, I want to start this morning by talking about what this passage does not mean. What it does not mean. Judge not that you be not judged does not mean that Christians aren't or can't ever evaluate right and wrong. In fact, in Scripture, there's a standard. There's a biblical standard that as Christians, we live up to and live underneath. We don't always live up to it. We ought to. But we live underneath it. And this standard, the biblical standard, uh, is throughout all of history and throughout all of culture and never-ending and never-changing. And it is popular today uh, for non-biblical ideas to be presented and then for people to say, well, judge not, as if a Christian can't stand under truth. That's not what this is about. There is a standard of morality, and it's biblical, and we hold hold to it even when culture tells us not to. So it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that a Christian can't confront another Christian caught up in sin. In fact, in Matthew 18, it says, the, uh, it says to do exactly that, that when we see a brother or a sister in sin, we ought to go to them and that there is a way to do that biblically. And so it doesn't mean uh, judge not can't be, well, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? I'm your brother or sister in Christ. I'm exactly who's supposed to be telling you if you're in the wrong but there's a way to do it. So it can't mean that. So what then? What then? Oh, by the way, the last thing it doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean that you can't ever change your behavior based upon somebody else's behavior. And so sometimes people will say, oh, now you're just judging me. Oh, you're just judging me. You're just, as if you or someone can do whatever they want, believe, say, think, act, however they want. And for us to change our behavior based upon what they do is always wrong. That's not what it's saying. So it's not saying those things because scripture, uh, verse six in this passage, by the way, refutes the third one. And I'll talk about that next week. So it doesn't mean those three things because those three things are clearly um, contradicted in scripture. So what does it mean? What does judge not that you be not judged mean biblically? How are we to understand this as followers of Christ and then live in it in our relationships? And judge not that you be not judged means this. It means that as followers of Christ, we don't have the right or the authority to condemn another person. It is not our place. 
Romans 8 says there is no condemnation in Christ. Condemnation isn't even supposed to exist in the Christian environment. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation pointed towards you. And if you're in Christ, you have no right or authority to point condemnation towards anyone else. Now, sometimes this word condemnation is a little too big, so let me focus it in. What does it mean? It means this. It means as Christians, we don't have the right or the authority to see somebody in sin and to shame them or to spiritually punish them. It is not our place. Shame and punishment are not the currencies of the cross. They were replaced with love and grace. What does it mean to shame or to punish? It's when somebody gets caught in sin, and shame could look like this. It means you see them and you avert your eyes. I can't even look. It means to to let them know in one way or another, you're no longer accepted in the club. To shame is to not always avert your eyes. Sometimes it's to give them the glance. And the glance says, I know what you did. Instead of, I know what Christ did for you. We shame and we make them know You have to know. You have to know what I now think about you because I know what you did. Punishment. Sometimes it doesn't look like shame. It looks like punishment. What could punishment be? A punishment is when you subtly or not so subtly figure out a way to make sure that they know you can't be here anymore. Punishment is to um, kick out, disqualify somebody from being used by God as if that is somehow our job to decide who God uses. Punishment is to make somebody earn their standing back as if they ever earned it in the first place. This is shame and punishment. And we practice it against each other, against those who we hear about, those who we see on TV who fail or or, or whatever it might be. Shame and punishment, shame and punishment. Jesus says, this is how we do it. He says, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, look at the verbs he uses, you pronounce, you will be judged. That's a promise. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Another translation says pour. And so I'm going to use pronounce and pour. Jesus says we pronounce judgment or the way you pronounce judgment on somebody else, the way you shame someone else, the way you punish spiritually someone else, the way you pour out shame on them, the way you pour out your your silent disdain towards them, the way you shame them, the way you punish them, it will be poured and pronounced back on you. Now, Jesus does not believe in karma. He doesn't teach karma. It's not some karma-style teaching where Jesus is like, watch out because if you do this, then then the next person's going to do it to you. That's not uh, what Jesus teaches. So what's he teaching here? Where will that pouring and pronouncing come from? If it's not another person, then where? From him. He's saying this, when you pour out shame, when you pronounce judgment on someone out, the measure that you do that on another person is the the, the measure or the level in which it'll be placed on you by me. See, here's an inevitable fact of history. There will be a pronouncing of judgment 
before every single person. Every single person will stand before God and there will be a judgment pronounced. Something in the last day, your last day or in heaven on that day, on judgment day, there is a judgment day, will be poured out on you. Something will be. And in that moment, what Jesus is making us think about is who, who do we want doing that pouring and pronouncing on us on that judgment day? When I was growing up and uh, students would get tickets, we would tell stories of the ticket judge. And everyone knew that there was one judge that you wanted to get because uh, he would be kind to you. And there was another judge who would treat you like a drug dealer. You're like, I was just going 66 and a 65, right? And there were stories of this judge. And the question is, if you were the high school student caught speeding, which one would you want to face? The measure with which you poured out. Now, here's something that we have to say. Because we know that this can't be true. Because we see the rest of the picture of the gospel. We know that what Jesus isn't saying here is, hey, if you don't act perfectly in this way, then I won't act like this to you. Because our faith is not like a, I do, then God does. Or I do, and then I earn God's favor in this way. That's not how it works. So I think what Jesus is trying to communicate here is this. If you, and he's going to talk later about having a proper perspective of other people's sin so that you might have a proper perspective of your own sin. I think what Jesus is saying throughout this entire text is if we are you are the type of person who would pronounce judgment shame punishment over someone else or pour it out on someone else then what hasn't happened is you haven't properly understood the gospel and so what jesus is saying here is if you can't uh, if your perspective if your perspective of someone else's sin is like this then you probably have an incorrect perspective of your own sin. In other words, if you're a poorer and a pronouncer of judgment, shame, condemnation, if you're a poorer and a pronouncer of that, then, then you haven't changed in a way that on that final day, God's judgment would be what you would want on you. Judge not that you be not judged, for which uh, the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he gets into this. Jesus creates this absolutely ridiculous uh, word picture, metaphor. It's fantastic. He says, hey, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Now the speck and the log is going to represent what? Sin. It's going to represent sin. That's what he's getting at. That's what this whole text is about. And so Jesus is creating this ridiculous picture. And the picture he is, uh, well, let me go ahead and read it to you. We're going to have some fun with this. He says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. We're going to use the word plank because another one uses the word plank and it's just a fun word. And so today we're going to talk about planking problems because we all have them. And Jesus says, you got a plank of sin and it's sticking out your eye. You have to uh, put yourself in the place of this ridiculous metaphor. He says, you're walking around and to me, this is how you look. 
That's how you look in front of God. But it's not just a piece of wood. It is all of your sin. And by the way, some of you are like, I don't have a a log sticking out of my eye. You got the first one. It's called pride. Lust, greed. And I didn't know until I was halfway through that these were the seven deadly sins. But we forgot wrath at the end. The point is we could have put anything up here. And here's the metaphor, the picture that Jesus is creating. He's saying, you're running around. You don't even realize it. And you are planking people like crazy. And you're walking into places and you're knocking things over. You're knocking the mirror over. Your your spouse is walking in and they're like, hey. And you're like, boom. Your spouse is now lying on the ground, a bloody mess. Why? Because you're a workaholic. And you don't even see it. And your friend is walking in and they walk in and boom, you plank them. Because your envy and your jealousy, your bitterness is eaten away. Then your kids come in after a good day of school. They're all happy. Boom, boom, boom. I don't know how many kids you got. Boom. And you're planking your kids because you're self-righteous. And they're walking in on their bloody mess. And so here is you to God. <laughs> you're walking around like this, beating people. And then what happens? Somebody walks in. Somebody else walks in. Don't actually walk. You can stay there. I was doing this the medical person over there. Okay. They walk in and there's, got one. They walk in, lands on their cheek. They walk in and you go, ha! Look how ridiculous you look. (laughs) Except for we don't say it like that. You know how we say it? We say, oh, I can't believe I can't believe he said that. Oh, I can't believe she did that. Oh, I can't believe they spent their money like that. I can't believe she wore that to church. Come on. Oh, I heard they had that baby before they were married. Oh, and fill in the blank. The whole time we're like this. And we're looking at people and we're saying this and this and this and this. And Jesus is looking down going, What the heck is wrong with you? We're planking all over the place. So Jesus says, okay, let me help you out here, guys. Why don't you, uh, you hypocrite? Why don't you go take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think Jesus is still in his comedy routine here because the point of this phrase, you can't take the plank out of your own eye. It's the whole point of the gospel that if the, if the plank represents your sin, you're, you're never going to get it out. You might do this and you feel a little better. You can't get it out on your own. So what do we need? Scripture teaches two things that we need in this case. 
the first that I'm going to talk about is the lesser, but I want to bring it up real quick. First thing we need is godly friends that you find in life group, you find in, in a Bible study, you find in church, you find in wherever part of life that it is. You need a godly friend who loves you enough to go, dude, don't you see this? You're ruining your marriage. Don't you see this? You're ruining your body. Don't you see this? Oh, and what do we do? As soon as somebody goes like this, as soon as they do that, what do we do? We go, don't judge me. Don't judge me. No, no, no. That is the exact type of judgment that you do want from your brother and sister in Christ. It's not shame. It's not punishment. It's, dude, look at this. Look at this. You got to fix this, man. You got to fix this, girl. You need friends like that. I need friends like that. That's the first thing we need. The second way that the plank gets dealt with is the greater way that the plank gets dealt with. Because if we hop back up to verse 3, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? It's like you don't even know your own sin. You don't know your own depravity. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Why are you running around looking at the dude with a little bit of wood, a little bit of speck right there and saying things like, oh, I hope he knows how much he messed up. Oh, I hope she knows that she had it, but then she blew it. Let's kick them out of the club. Some of you have faced this. In fact, your biggest hurts in life are someone who professed to be a Christian running around beating you with their plank. This, friends, is not the story of the plank that Jesus came to tell. This is not the, the log that Jesus came to tell. It's not that story. Jesus came to tell a much better story of a plank. He came to tell a much better story of a log. Predicted well before it. See, the story that Jesus came to tell about a wooden plank is when you were walking around and this thing was stuck in it, Jesus came, ripped it up, beat a few Pharisees with it, walked over, stuck it in the ground, and he knew something. And what he knew is that something, a pronouncement and a pouring out, would have to happen because of your plank. He knew it. He knew that it was an inevitable fact of history that something would be pronounced, guilty or not guilty, over your sin, over your plank. He knew that something uh, would have to be poured out over it, the wrath and the anger of God. And so Jesus shows up, he rips the plank out of your eyes, he sticks it in the ground, and right when God is about to pronounce his judgment and to pour out his wrath, he slides over and covers it up. And the pronouncing does happen. Guilty. And it falls on the perfect Savior who's covering over your sin. 
And the pouring does happen. The absolute wrath of God pours out in that moment. But instead of it hitting you on your eye, it falls on Jesus who's covering your sin. This is the story of the wooden plank that Jesus came to tell. This is the story that he wanted us to know. And he says this, the way you see your sin, the way you see how your sin went from here to gone, right? The way you see how that happened is then how you will pour and pronounce on others. That's how it'll happen. You have to see it the right way first. And the only way to see it is to see Jesus covering it for you. Not because of anything you did. Not because you deserved it. Not because you were awesome. You were a planker like everybody else. But because he's good. He says, when you begin to see it that way, then all you can do is look out at somebody else who's caught in sin and see them how Jesus saw you. Let me try this another way. Uh, when I was growing up, once a month in the school cafeteria, they'd have this day where the fifth grade parents would come in and serve hot dogs and french fries. Okay? Best day of the month, right? See, lunch was going to be awesome. When you're in fifth grade, lunch is all that matters and recess. And so on that particular day, everyone would buy lunch. You'd have your little, you know, two bucks back then, right? And um, that could buy you either two hot dogs and one french fry or two french fries and one hot dog. And everybody knows that you buy two french fries and one hot dog because french fries are delicious. If you don't like this, if you don't like french fries, this metaphor is going to suck for you. So you're just going to have to embrace them, Okay. And so then lunchtime would come, and you'd just have recess, you know, where you dominated in football, hypothetical, of course. And you'd be starving. And so you'd get in line. No, you wouldn't get in line. That's the point of the story. Hold on. You'd wait. Because you knew if you got in line first, you wouldn't know which mom was on which side. Okay? And you say, why well, they got to be a mom? It was the 90s. Calm down. Okay? And so there was a mom back there in the line serving out french fries. And, and, and the, the story would, would progress so quickly because here's what would happen. In one line, you would have Pharisee mom, okay? And here's what Pharisee mom would do. You'd come up with your tray, and she'd say, how many fries did you order? And you would say, one. And Pharisee mom would say, one order of French fries for 80 cents equals seven French fries. Here's seven French fries. And then you would walk out, and you'd think, I ordered one French fry. cost me 80 cents. I got seven French fries. That's what I, I got what I deserved. And you'd walk out. And you'd see everyone walk out of that line. And they were, you know, going to eat their french fry because that's what they deserved. But you would, because you're smart, you would sit back and you would watch. And you'd watch everyone walk out of that line and you would see how many french fries were in their little tray. Because you're in fifth grade and your metabolism works like crazy, right? And then you would realize that on the other line and the other side, some other kid would walk out and there'd be this massive smile on his face or her face. You'd be like, dude, what's going on? And they're like, gospel mom's in the other line. Okay? Pharisee mom's over here. Gospel mom's over here. Okay? You want to go in this line. And so you would slide over into gospel mom's line, and you would get up there, 
And gospel mom would say, how many fries did you order? And you would say one. And she would go, you would think you were in Idaho. There were so many potatoes flying around. And you would walk out and your tray would be filled with these things. And you would think while you were in line, didn't she know that I forgot my gym clothes yesterday? Don't she know what I said in lunch today or in recess? Don't she know that I got a detention last week? Don't she know? Don't she know? Doesn't she know? And you could talk yourself into every reason on why you didn't deserve all of those French fries, but gospel mom did not care. She just kept pouring them out. And it was interesting because out of one line was a whole bunch of people who were looking, I got what I deserved. And out of the other line was a whole bunch of people who came out happy because they got what they didn't deserve. And then people walk up to you like, dude, did you spend $12 on French fries? You'd say, no, I spent 80 cents on French fries. Gospel mom, you need to go over there. You need to get into that line. You need to go see her. You need to go see her because she'll give you what you don't deserve. So go over there. Friends, when you're a Christian and you see someone in sin, your best response is to say, you just need to go see Jesus. You just need to go see Jesus because he's about to pour out some French fries on you that will change everything. And he doesn't care that you failed your math test and you forgot your gym clothes. He doesn't care what you did and he even knows what you're going to do that you don't even know that you're going to do. And he still doesn't care and he's still going to pour it out because something has to be poured out. And it's either going to be his wrath or his love. It's either going to be pronounced guilty or not guilty. So just go see Jesus. See, if it says this, if the measure of which I pour and pronounce is going to be the measure that's poured and pronounced out on me, then here's how I want to live when I see someone in sin. And instead of seeing them in sin and thinking, man, I hope they know how much, uh, how much they messed up, I want to think, man, I hope, I know how love, uh, I hope they know how much they're loved by God. If the measure is going to be poured out to me and pronounced on me in the same way that I do, instead of looking at them and saying, man, we better kick them out of the club, I want to go up to them and say, hold on, come into another club. It's called the Club of the Redeemed where we're all messed up and we all have these planks and Jesus came and took them all. I'll be that person. Because when I show up into heaven, I want Jesus looking and saying, bro, it's okay. Go eat some fries. It's fine. I got you. When I see someone who's caught up in sin. I want to go out and them and say, listen, it's possible that there's been some shame and some punishment placed out in you and people have told you that you had potential in God and now you don't anymore. People have told you uh, uh, what could have happened or what your life could have been before you went and screwed it up. And I want you to know that a perfect person was never the recipe for what God was going to use. Because if that was the case, David wouldn't have been king and Peter wouldn't have preached at Pentecost and Paul wouldn't have planted at Philippi. And so I just want you to know that your screw up is still covered by Jesus. And I don't care because it's not my job to care what you did. It's my job to say, go get in that line and go see Jesus. Go see Jesus because I can trust Jesus enough that he can take care of your sin. I can trust Jesus enough that he hates the plank in your eye so much that he was willing to die for it so I don't have to point it out and beat you over the head with it. 
when you see properly how Jesus dealt with your sin, then you will begin to see properly how he would want you to deal with somebody else's. Which means it all starts with going back to the cross and seeing him cover your sin, seeing the wrath of God poured out on him, seeing the guilty verdict pronounced upon him. So let me just ask to make sure, has everyone in this room accepted that grace? That grace. Not some work hard, be good, do great, and you get Jesus grace. The grace that says that while the plank was sticking out of your eye and you were beating everybody with it, Jesus came and took it out for you. That grace. Have you received that? Have you let Jesus be poured on and pronounced upon so that you didn't have to be? And have you embraced it? Have you? Good news if you do on judgment day. A pronouncement will be placed on you and it'll be not guilty. And something will be poured on you and it'll be God's love and mercy. Now, if you have received grace in that way, go pour it out on everybody. 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 By the way, you know what this text is teaching? I think it's teaching, I think Jesus is saying, I know if you've received grace this way. Why? Because that's how you pour it out. It's how you pour it out. Let's pray.